thank you. Uh, uh, Rip, Rip, Rip. Well, as a reward for successfully setting your clocks back or forward, or just waiting it out since November, I offer you a poem, The Fence. Upon every point that arises, which may my opinion refute, upon every political issue, and on every local dispute, in fact, upon every question where the interest is strong and intense, my position is always the right one, I invariably straddle the fence. The position is not very easy, and it doesn't look pretty at all. If I lean to one side or the other, I believe I am certain to fall. And I think I, that I merit distinction and a credit mark long and immense if on every question that cometh I can gracefully straddle the fence. Now, no, this is not the elected official's manifesto, but a poem I found written in 1888 by J.B. Smiley, who was appropriately being named Smiley, a humorist from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I couldn't find a lot of info on J.B. Smiley, but he was a popular populist. He went around and he spoke, and this poem somehow appeared, somewhere appeared in one of his speeches that he gave. The inspiration for the poem I tried to find but could not. But then it occurred to me when he wrote it, 1888, that middle of the post Civil War time period, the time period that another humorist, Mark Twain, whom we know a little bit more about, uh, he named that time period the Gilded Age. You've heard of the Gilded Age, perhaps. Post-war America saw this economic boom, and yet at the same time, there was this massive growth of poverty. During this period, the rich got richer and the poor even poorer. There were a number of corruption scandals with public officials. Almost everyone elected got caught up in something during this time. And Mark Twain said that the wealth in America and the morality of the public officials was about as thick as gold leaf on something that is gilded. It looked shiny. It looked solid. But it was paper thin. Now, when Marty and I and the family moved to Iowa, we toured the Iowa State Capitol, as you're supposed to, I believe. It's in the, 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 the agreement you make when you move here. And on the tour, we talked about that Capitol dome, that gold-plated dome. And they told us that the gold on the dome of the Iowa State Capitol was so thin that if you touched it with your finger, it would come off on your fingertip. And if it all were balled up, the entire dome, it would only be as big as a softball. That's pretty thin. Cost a million and a half dollars, I think, but a softball. So I guess it made sense for the humorist named Smiley to write a poem about straddling the fence during the Gilded Age. It's a term we use for people who can't commit, who are paper who play both sides of an argument, make promises to one group, and then turn around and make contrary promises, contradictory promises to someone else. You would think straddling the fence would be rather uncomfortable, but for many of us, it's the chosen position. To say you're for a needed change, but then do nothing to actually change it, that's fence straddling. 
to pray in public. God, be with those less fortunate than us and then never actually do something to help those less fortunate than us. That's fence straddling. To say all are welcome, but then throw in a few asterisks here and some, well, I don't know about you there. That's fence straddling. From our text this morning to deliver Jesus to Roman authorities so that they may kill him. But then to say, oh, I can't go into that Roman court because, well, it would make me unclean. That's fence straddling. Now, this whole story towards the end of the Gospel of John is filled with fence straddlers. The religious leaders deliver a man to be murdered, but they're worried about being defiled and not able to eat the Passover. They want him to be put to death, but their own Jewish law will not let them uh, do capital punishment. So they convince the Romans to do their dirty work instead while they remain holy. Pilate, well, Pilate tries to have it both ways, too. He knows Jesus is innocent. I find no fault in this man, he says, yet he doesn't want to incite the Jewish leaders and the crowd outside. He talks with Jesus, tries to get Jesus to say something that will just prove his guilt and relieve Pilate's in the process. But Jesus doesn't play along like he often does in the Gospel of John. He speaks in these evasive ways and Pilate cannot trap him. Are you a king? He asked Jesus. Well, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born, Jesus says. For this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate replies, well, what is truth? What is truth? He's rode that fence for so long. He's bent truth for so long to advance his agenda, to appease people on both sides. He doesn't even know what truth is anymore. Now, if this dialogue and this unusual question that Pilate asked of Jesus is unfamiliar to you, you've got good reason. We don't talk about these stories towards the end of the Gospels very much. The death of Jesus is not something that that we bring up much in church anymore. If you're like most of us, you go to church on Palm Sunday and then skip to Easter, skip all these stories altogether. We like to speed up this part of the story to go from Hosanna, Hosanna to Christ is risen and pretend like that's the way the story goes. If we do encounter these texts, it's usually in a Good Friday service where we read them all in bulk, swallow them, reflect maybe a moment, and then move on. We don't dwell in these stories, these dark stories, yet every gospel in the New Testament slows the story down when it gets to the last week of Jesus' life. In fact, almost half, half of John's gospel is spent in this last week of Jesus' life, and the trial before Pilate gets two entire chapters. Maybe it's because we don't like talking about death, particularly the death of Jesus. It's unpleasant, uncomfortable. But I wonder if it's also because we don't like talking about truth. We live a lot of our lives on the fence. Commitment is hard. And if we were to admit that something is true, we'd have to get off the fence. We'd have to make a decision, right? We'd have to change our lives. My kingdom is not of the world. That's what Jesus tells Pilate. The games you play in your kingdom, the way your kings work, that has no place in my kingdom. Here there is no straddling of the fence because my kingdom is about truth. So what is truth? Well, that word truth actually appears in John's gospel 20 
times. Now take the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and look for that word truth. And it shows up in all three a total of only seven times, but 20 in the Gospel of John. See, truth is something John is after, something John wants us to see. In fact, that's where he begins this gospel, declaring that the word of God became flesh and that in the flesh, the word was full of grace and truth. In chapter eight, Jesus declares, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So what is truth? Pilate asked the truth. Well, truth is standing right in front of you. Truth is Jesus. Of course, Pilate doesn't stick around to get the answer to his question. Instead, he says, what is truth? And then as quickly as he asks, he turns away from truth and runs out to those outside who are accusing Jesus. Those who seem so concerned with truth and yet can't show their faces inside in the midst of this trial. And Pilate pushes the decision off to them. This is what he does best. Do you want me to set free Jesus? Do you want me to set free the truth? And the crowd shouts, give us Barabbas, the bandit. Pilate fails his encounter with the truth. But here in the midst of the story, it's as if John is whispering to us. Asking us the question, here stands truth before you. What do you choose? See, you can't read this story of Jesus on the fence. I guess we could have just skipped it all together. Maybe that would have been more wise. Just avoid the uncomfortable part. Avoid the choice. But here we are. We can't just rush to the resurrection. We've got to live here in the season of Lent just a few more weeks. We have to stand here with Jesus. In the midst of this moment of decision, what will our decision be? What choice will we make? Do we want to set Jesus free? What would happen if we set Jesus free? What would happen if truth was set free in our church, in our city, in our world, in our lives? What would truth say to us? What would truth overturn? What would truth ask of us? Truth, well, truth is risky, isn't it? Truth is truth exposes, truth pushes us off the fence. It makes us make a decision. Do we want to set truth free? Or do we rather this bandit, this bandit that steals away life? Or truth that gives us life? I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, Jesus says. Maybe the question should be, do we want to be set free by the truth? Because straddling the fence, well, it can be awfully uncomfortable. But stepping off the fence, stepping into truth while risky can be deeply liberating. To be yourself, to make the choice to believe, to follow, to lead, to become what you know you need to become. To give into that nagging inside and just do what you know is right, what you need to do. It can be risky but it's liberating. It is freeing. You will know the truth. Jesus says the truth will set you free. And Jesus asks us today, do you want to be free? Amen.